0: this is section forty three of mark twain a biography this librivox recording is in the public domain mark twain a biography by albert bigelow payne volume one part one eighteen thirty five to eighteen sixty six chapter forty three artemus ward madame caprell's warning concerning mark twain's health at twenty eight would seem to have been justified high-strung and neurotic The strain of newspaper work and the tumult of the Comstock had told on him. As in later life he was subject to bronchial colds, and more than once that year he found it necessary to drop all work and rest for a time at Steamboat Springs, a place near Virginia City, where there were boiling springs and steaming fissures in the mountainside, and a comfortable hotel. He contributed from there sketches somewhat more literary in form than any of his previous work. Curing a cold is a more or less exaggerated account of his ills. Included in the Sketches New and Old, Information for the Million, and Advice to Good Little Girls, included in The Jumping Frog Collection, 1867, but omitted from the sketches, are also believed to belong to this period. A portion of a playful letter to his mother written from the springs still exists you have given my vanity a deadly thrust behold i am prone to boast of having the widest reputation as a local editor of any man on the pacific coast and you gravely come forward and tell me If I work hard and attend closely to my business, I may aspire to a place on a big San Francisco daily some day. There's a comment on human vanity for you. Why, blast it, I was under the impression that I could get such a situation as that any time i ask for it but i don't want it no paper in the united states can afford to pay me what my place on the enterprise is worth if i were not naturally a lazy idle good-for-nothing vagabond i could make it pay me twenty thousand dollars a year but I don't suppose I shall ever be any account. I lead an easy life, though, and I don't care a cent whether school keeps or not. Everybody knows me, and I fare like a prince wherever I go, be it on this side of the mountain or the other, and I am proud to say I am... The most conceited ass in the territory. You think that picture looks old? Well, I can't help it. In reality, I'm not as old as I was when I was eighteen. Which was a true statement, so far as his general attitude was concerned. At eighteen, in New York and Philadelphia, his letters had been grave, reflective, advisory now they were mostly banter and froth lightly indifferent to the serious side of things though perhaps only pretendedly so for the picture did look old from the shock and circumstance of his brother's death he had never recovered he was barely twenty-eight from the picture he might have been a man of forty it was that year that artemus ward charles f brown came to virginia city There was a fine opera house in Virginia, and any attraction that billed San Francisco did not fail to play to the Comstock. Ward intended staying only a few days to deliver his lectures, but the whirl of the Comstock caught him like a maelstrom, and he remained three weeks. He made the enterprise office his headquarters, and fairly reveled in the company he found there. He and Mark Twain became boon companions, each recognized in the other a kindred spirit with goodman de quill and mccarthy also e e hingston ward's agent a companionable fellow they usually dined at chaumont's virginia's high-toned french restaurant those were three memorable weeks in mark twain's life artemus ward was in the height of his fame and he encouraged his new-found brother humorist and prophesied great things of him clemens on his side measured himself by this man who had achieved fame and perhaps with good reason concluded that Ward's estimate was correct, that he too could win fame and honor once he got a start. If he had lacked ambition before Ward's visit, the latter's unqualified approval inspired him with that priceless article of equipment. He put his soul into entertaining the visitor during those three weeks, and it was apparent to their associates that he was at least Ward's equal in mental stature and originality. Goodman and the others began to realize that for Mark Twain the rewards of the future were to be measured only by his resolution and ability to hold out. On Christmas Eve, Artemis lectured in Silver City, and afterward came to the Enterprise office to give the boys a farewell dinner. The Enterprise always published a Christmas carol, and Goodman sat at his desk writing it. He was just finishing as Ward came in. "'Slave! Slave!' said Artemis, come out and let me banish care from you. They got the boys and all went over to Chamon's, where Ward commanded Goodman to order the dinner. When the cocktails came on, Artemis lifted his glass and said, I give you Upper Canada. The company rose, drank the toast in serious silence. Then Goodman said, Of course, Artemis, it's all right. Uh, but uh, why did you give us Upper Canada? because I don't want it myself," said Ward gravely. Then began a rising tide of humor that could hardly be matched in the world today. Mark Twain had awakened to a fuller power. Artemis Ward was in his prime. They were giants of a race that became extinct when Mark Twain died. The youth, the wine, the whirl of lights and life, the tumult of the shouting street. It was as if An electric stream of inspiration poured into those two human dynamos and sent them into a dazzling, scintillating whirl, all gone, as evanescent as forgotten, as the lightnings of that vanished time. Out of that vast feasting and entertainment only a trifling morsel remains. Ward now and then asked Goodman why he did not join in the banter. Goodman said, "'I'm preparing a joke, Artemis.' but I'm keeping it for the present." It was near daybreak when Ward at last called for the bill. It was two hundred and thirty-seven dollars. "'What?' exclaimed Artemus. "'That's my joke,' said Goodman. "'But I was only exclaiming because it was not twice as much,' returned Ward. He paid it amid laughter, and they went out into the early morning air. It was fresh and fine outside, not yet light enough to see clearly. Artemis threw his face up to the sky and said, I feel glorious. I feel like walking on the roofs. Virginia was built on the steep hillside, and the eaves of some of the houses almost touched the ground behind them. There is your chance, Artemis, Goodman said, pointing to a row of these houses all about of a height. Artemis grabbed Mark Twain, and they stepped out upon the long string of roofs and walked their full length, arm in arm. Presently the others noticed a lonely policeman cocking his revolver and getting ready to aim in their direction. Goodman called to him. Wait a minute. What are you going to do? I'm going to shoot those burglars, he said. Don't for your life. Those are not burglars. That's Mark Twain and Artemis Ward." The roof-walkers returned, and the party went down the street to a corner across from the International Hotel. A saloon was there, with a barrel lying in front, used perhaps for a sort of sign. Artemis climbed astride the barrel, and somebody brought a beer-glass and put it in his hand. Virginia City looks out over the eastward desert. Morning was just breaking upon the distant range, the scene as beautiful as when the sunrise beams across the plain of Memnon the city was not yet awake the only living creatures in sight were the group of belated diners with artemus ward as king gambrinus pouring a libation to the sunrise that was the beginning of a week of glory the farewell dinner became a series at the close of one convivial session Artemis went to a concert hall the melodion blacked his face and delivered a speech he got away from virginia about the close of the year A day or two later he wrote from Austin, Nevada, to his new-found comrade as, My dearest love, recalling the happiness of his stay. I shall always remember Virginia as a bright spot in my existence, as all others must or rather cannot be, as it were. Then reflectively he adds, Some of the finest intellects in the world have been blunted by liquor rare artemus ward and rare mark twain if there lies somewhere a place of meeting and remembrance they have not failed to recall there those closing days of sixty-three end of chapter forty three artemus ward read by john greenman